Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Louise Fleming from the Royal Brompton Hospital and Imperial College. Welcome to today's Ask About Asthma podcast episode. Today, I'll be talking about an anti-inflammatory reliever approach. So what I'm going to do is firstly talk through some of the definitions and what I actually mean by that. And then I'm going to talk about some of the concerns that have led to those changes. I'll go through the evidence for the, the approach and then we'll finish on some practical tips. So first of all, what do I mean by an anti-inflammatory reliever, sometimes known as AIR approach? Well, traditionally, we've used short-acting beta agonists as our reliever treatment, sometimes on its own at step one and as a, in combination with maintenance treatment as, as children go up through the treatment steps. An anti-inflammatory reliever approach is, is a, an approach that combines inhaled steroids with a fast-acting beta agonist. So we know that salbutamol is a short-acting beta agonist, but that also acts quickly. However, formoterol is also fast-acting and therefore can be really used for relief of symptoms. So the anti-inflammatory reliever means a combination of an inhaled steroid with a fast-acting beta agonist for the relief of symptoms. And for the most part, I'll be talking about ICS formoterol combinations for relief of symptoms, but also we can use salbutamol in combination with inhaled steroids as a reliever therapy as well. So that's what an anti-inflammatory reliever or AIR is. The other term that gets used is MART or SMART. So that stands for maintenance and reliever treatment, or if we add the S, that single maintenance and reliever treatment. And that means that we use one inhaler for both the maintenance doses, and that's a combination inhaler of ICS formoterol. So we use that for the regular treatment and then also use that for relief of symptoms. So hence maintenance and reliever treatment, MART or SMART. So we use that for children who are having frequent symptoms and who are on kind of maintenance treatment and reliever treatment. However, for children with less frequent symptoms, we can just use an anti-inflammatory reliever approach on its own. And I think that's where it maybe gets a little bit complicated when people are trying to think about the differences between those. Now, many of these changes or the things that I'm talking about stem from changes to the GINA um, recommendations in 2019. And for those not familiar with GINA, that's the Global Initiative for Asthma. And GINA produce a strategy document every year that can be incorporated into local guidelines. So it's not a guideline per se, it includes a series of evidence-based recommendations. And I'm a member of the GINA Science Committee, so is involved in some of these decisions. So why has there been this, um, this shift? We're very used to, you know, we have the blue inhaler, the brown inhaler, you take your blue for your relief, you take your, your brown for your preventer. Well, well, what's wrong with that approach? It's an approach that we've been using for many years now. Well, the concerns are around the use of short-acting beta agonist. We know that using short-acting beta agonist on its own without any maintenance treatment is more likely to lead to an increased risk of asthma attacks and in fact is associated with asthma-related deaths. So it's the least safe option. There's also evidence to suggest that using salbutamol on its own or even if we're using it in combination with maintenance treatment but we're overusing salbutamol, there are also increased risks associated with that, including increased risks of asthma attacks. There's evidence to suggest that overuse of beta agonists actually leads to decreased bronchoprotection, rebound hyperresponsiveness, and an increase in airway inflammation. 
So actually, we're using it to relieve symptoms, but we're actually driving the asthma and making the asthma worse. So it's counterproductive. So we want to move away from this high use of sabutamol or sabutamol on its own. We also know that children and adolescents who have very infrequent symptoms are unlikely to want to take a maintenance treatment all the time. And therefore, if they're not taking a maintenance treatment all the time and they're just falling back on their reliever, they're essentially on sabutamol only treatment. And that's what we want to avoid. So therefore, studies have been designed to try and counter those effects. So looking at what treatment can we give to children and young people that's more effective and also will fit with their preferences and their treatment goals. So if we start with patients with very infrequent symptoms, so traditionally those you know, patients will be starting with sabutamol only and then going on to you know, introduce inhaled steroids with sabutamol maintenance treatment. There's a little bit of a difference here between children and adolescents and different evidence bases for both. So I'm going to start with the adolescents because that's where we've got the most evidence because a number of studies have been done that have included adolescents in big adult studies. So two of those studies are known as the SIGMA studies. And in those studies, patients were randomised to either um, short-acting beta agonist only treatment a kind of a traditional maintenance um, inhaled steroid and reliever, or just using a combination of inhaled steroid and fomoterol in a combination inhaler when they had symptoms. So one of the studies had a short-acting beta agonist only arm, and the second study only had the two um, arms with inhaled steroids. Now, these were randomised um, blind, um, double-blind placebo-controlled trials. So, in fact, even though it was testing a kind of an as-needed approach, all patients, participants in the study, were taking regular treatment, whether it's placebo or active treatment. And in those studies, the message was very clear. The short-acting beta agonist-only arm did worse. In terms of attack, there was no difference whether inhaled steroids were taken regularly or only as needed for symptomatic relief in combination with fomoterol. Those in the maintenance treatment arms did do better in terms of symptom control, although this didn't really reach a clinically important difference. There nonetheless was a difference in terms of day-to-day -day symptom control in those who took inhaled steroids all the time. However, the rate of asthma attacks was the same, and those in the as-needed arm took around 25% of the steroid dose compared to those in the maintenance arm. So that's the main evidence base for adolescents. There have been other studies in adults that have used a more pragmatic approach to so the novel start and practical studies, but they didn't include adolescents, so I won't talk any further about them. However, what I would say is actually they showed an even stronger signal in favour of ICS for Motorol, and this is likely because it was more reflected clinical practice and that they were we weren't asking participants to take placebo as well. So that's the kind of the evidence for those kind of mild patients at steps one to two for just taking ICS for Motorol as needed for symptomatic relief. For younger children, so for the six to 11 year olds, we don't have studies using ICS for Motorol. What we do have though are two studies that have used an approach whereby whenever salbutamol or whenever a short-acting beta agonist is taken, the child takes their inhaled steroid as a separate inhaler at the same time. So that's the TREXA study and the ASSIST study. Only the TREXA study had a short-acting beta agonist only arm and that arm did the worst. 
again, in the TREXA study, those taking maintenance inhaled steroids did better from a symptom control perspective, and the rate of exacerbations was significantly lower than those in the sabusmolonely arm. However, treatment failures were, in terms of further asthma attacks, were similar whether um, inhaled steroids were taken all the time or just as needed for symptomatic relief. And in the ASSIST study, there were only the two arms, those who took regular inhaled steroids and those who took, took inhaled steroids whenever they needed salbutamol. And in that arm, there was no difference in the rate of exacerbations or symptom control. And again, in the ASSIST study, there was a much lower exposure to inhaled steroids. So these kind of all these studies together tell us that actually if you take any inhaled steroid, um, whether that's um, as needed or whether regularly you do much better than salbutamol only, and the rates of exacerbations are similar, whether it's taken regularly or as needed. So that's the kind of the as needed arms. Moving up when we kind of get to steps three and four, these are the studies that have been done looking at maintenance and reliever treatment. So whereby patients take the same inhaler as their maintenance as they do for relief of symptoms. And as I mentioned earlier, all these studies have been done with ICS formoterol. And what these, there have been lots and lots of studies, so I'm not going to go into individual studies. However, there has been a meta-analysis of eight studies that have included large amounts of adolescents. And again, particularly when it comes to asthma attacks, comparing regular inhaled corticosteroids with ICS formoterol for maintenance and reliever, the, the maintenance and reliever arm does better in terms of reducing the risk of asthma attacks and time to um, first attack. So really good evidence in adolescence. And that's why um, from 2019 only, Gina no longer recommended a short-acting beta agonist only arm and recommended at those steps three to four, the preferred treatment should be ICS for Motorol, both for maintenance and reliever. And to make this clearer from 2021, the GINA figure is now divided into two treatment tracks. So one where ICS for Motorol is the reliever, either on its own at steps one to two, or in combination with maintenance ICS for Motorol at steps three, four, and five. And the alternative track is the, um, where, whereby short-acting beta agonist is the uh, reliever of choice at step one, taken whenever inhaled corticosteroids are taken, and then at the higher treatment steps in combination with regular maintenance treatment. What about for younger children? Well, there's only been one study of maintenance and reliever treatment in children six to 11 years old. There were three arms, and again, um, so there was a high dose inhaled steroid only, a regular ICS formoterol with um, short-acting beta agonist reliever, and a MART, a maintenance and reliever therapy, actually using a relatively low dose. And in that study, the MART treatment arm did better in terms of um, number of um, asthma attacks. And so the, the guidance for six to 11 year olds is a little different in that at step one, the recommendation is to use inhaled steroids whenever short-acting beta agonists are used. At step two, because we know there's good evidence in children of regular inhaled steroids, that should be that that's um, we should then start regular inhaled steroids in combination with short-acting beta agonists. However, at steps three to four, there is evidence to suggest that we can use a maintenance and reliever dose, starting at a low dose of ICS for Motorol, and then moving up to our higher dose at step four. Now, so. Which should we choose for our patients? 
So I think that's, we, as I say, we've got good evidence that ICS for Motorola works well, but it's not for everybody. As I mentioned in some of those studies, actually, the symptom control is better if you take inhaled steroids all the time. So this comes down to patient preferences and goals. Do patients want kind of, or do the children, young people want kind of really good control, not to have any symptoms, but takes, you know, be happy to take those steroids, inhaled steroids all the time and are likely to have good adherence? Or actually, are they more worried about attacks? They're unlikely to be taking inhaled steroids all the time, in which case an ICS for Motorola approach or ICS um, inhaled steroids in combination with short-acting beta agonist would be the safer preferred approach. The other consideration that's important is the type of inhaler. So at present, we tend to use the turbo inhaler for maintenance and reliever treatment. There are MDIs available so that it's a license from 12 years of age, but I'll kind of focus on the turbo inhaler. Now that's a dry powder inhaler, um, and there are other dry powder inhalers as combination therapies available. Now, not everybody can use a dry powder inhaler. Some children may not feel it's right for them, particularly when they're having attacks and they're having symptoms. They may not be able to, um, to have the relief of symptoms and therefore that might not be right for them either. So it's really important to work with the, the children and young people and their families to find an approach and to find an inhaler that's right for them. And so the right inhaler, um, the right inhaler is the one that works for the patient. And, the, and that's the same as the approach in terms of their treatment. So what's about other practical issues? If we're taking reliever puffs of ICS from Motorol, how many should be taken? Well, it's one reliever puff of an inhaler containing at least six, containing six micrograms of formoterol. As I mentioned, there are MDIs that contain three micrograms and therefore two reliever puffs would be needed to get that relief of symptoms. It's recommended that no more than six puffs are used at any one time. And at that point, the patient would be in the red zone of their asthma plan and should be calling for an ambulance and getting urgent help. The total number of kind of additional reliever puffs depends really on the maintenance dose. So if a child is on two puffs twice a day, so four puffs a day, we would recommend that they can go up to eight puffs in total per day. So four extra reliever puffs. And if their asthma is very poorly controlled, the ceiling is 12 puffs so they can take those six puffs at a time. So the absolute total is 12 puffs in a day. The doses are lower for younger children. And I quite often get asked, well, actually, should they have salbutamol as a backup? What if they can't, you know, they get breathless and they can't take the ICS for Motorol reliever? Well, I think the problem with doing that is it, it, it introduces confusion. So if you're saying, well, take your ICS for Motorol sometimes, but keep this, you know, this salbutamol as a backup. Are you going to carry around the salbutamol all the time? Will they know which one to take? And that rather defeats the whole object of using a single inhaler for maintenance and reliever. If the ICS for Motorol hasn't achieved relief of symptoms after six puffs, again, people say, well, should you then go on to in, um, a short-acting beta agonist? Again, you've still got the issue of how do you kind of, the practical issues relating to that. But also, as I mentioned, that's the point where they should be calling an ambulance and going to hospital. And if your you know, six puffs of Motorol, ICS for Motorol have not worked to relieve symptoms, you've already had a lot of beta agonist. And that's when you need to be assessed. You need, you know, the child will likely be needing oxygen and other supportive treatments. So I think if we're going to, if you're going to use the ICS for Motorol as a reliever therapy, that's your reliever. There isn't a kind of a, a sort of a backup of Sabutamol as well. 
as I mentioned, those patient preferences are really important. So actually, if you don't think a child can use ICS for Motorola during an acute attack, that shouldn't be their reliever because they shouldn't be using relievers cuffs if they're not symptomatic. So if they can't use it when they're symptomatic, then, then they should be on a standard short-acting beta-agonist reliever in combination with either inhaled steroids or ICS and a long-acting beta-agonist. The other really important thing to mention is that not all ICS long-acting beta-agonist combinations can be used in, in this way. So I've mentioned formoterol a lot, and that's because it acts quickly. It's a fast-acting long-acting beta-agonist. Other long-acting beta-agonists, such as salmeterol, don't act quickly enough. So therefore, they don't provide relief of symptoms and are not suitable for maintenance and reliever treatment. Also important that we don't combine different inhalers. So if a child is on ICS salmeterol for their reliever, uh, sorry, for their maintenance treatment, then they shouldn't then be on ICS formoterol as their reliever. They need to be the same. It needs to be an ICS formoterol for both maintenance and relief of symptoms. Other kind of practical issues is that ICS formoterol can be used before exercise for children with exercise-induced symptoms, so one puff. And again, some evidence to suggest that that provides better bronchoprotection than using short-acting beta-agonists before exercise. At present, in the emergency, once we get to the emergency room setting, that's when children are then given short-acting beta-agonists if they know them in that safe environment for children on ICS formoterol reliever. And on discharge, they should be discharged home on the ICS for Motorol for reliever if that's what they were on before, rather than being told to take salbutamol for a while and then, then switch back to ICS for Motorol as that leads to confusion. So I hope that's all clear. We've been talking today about an anti-inflammatory reliever approach used either as an ICS for Motorol as needed for symptomatic relief, for patients with infrequent symptoms at steps one to two or adolescents with infrequent symptoms and using ICS formoterol whenever a short-acting beta-agonist is needed for younger children. And then as maintenance and reliever therapy, so a combination of ICS formoterol for both maintenance and relief of symptoms for children with more frequent symptoms. So those kind of steps three, four children. So that brings today's episode to a close. Thank you for listening and please do visit the Ask About Asthma webpage for more podcast content and to view the full schedule for the week. Thank you and goodbye.